0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to turn with me to the prophecies of Ezekiel chapter 1. This morning we are going to move on to Revelation chapter 4, and you will immediately see that chapter 4 is quite different from chapters 2 and 3. In chapter 4, we really start to get into what is called apocalyptic language. And if you want some of the background of that kind of language, then you are sometimes advised to look, for example, at the prophecies of Ezekiel. And you'll see quite some similarities between Ezekiel and Revelation. So I've chosen chapter 1, the first 18 verses, to give you an idea of what we mean by apocalyptic language. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year, at the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai by the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians, there the hand of the Lord was upon him. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They didn't turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side, and two wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures were like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and bright. And lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like chrysolite. And all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Our text this morning is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 4. As I mentioned, we have looked at at least two of the seven churches in Asia Minor, and now we move on to chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, beginning at verse 1. Listen to the word of God. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the eyes of the world these days are on Vancouver. Last Friday, the world's biggest party began in British Columbia, Canada. And millions, if not billions, of people everywhere tuned their televisions to watch the opening Olympic ceremonies several days ago. And now what happens for the next two weeks here in our backyard will have the attention of the world. Some would say that for a little while at least, Vancouver and Whistler are going to be at the center of the world. And why are these places at the center of the world? Well, this time it has nothing to do with politics or business or even oil. Now, this time it's all about sports. Sports will overshadow the tragedy of Haiti, the violence of Afghanistan, the mixed news that keeps on ebbing out of Wall Street. Together, many people will try to escape from the boredom of everyday living and hop on the bandwagon of skiing and skating and hockey and whatever else, have you? Sports will keep the world glued to its televisions, and it will all be coming, as they say, from our neck of the woods. But you know, at the end of the month, things will pretty much return back to normal. And once again you will see the news is going to be made elsewhere. Places like Beijing, Washington, London, Paris, Tokyo will insist that they are the real centers of the world. And Vancouver will go back to being a small city with a big ego. Sports will get way to politics, economic clout and might might as as being the real things, will show themselves to make the world go round. In short, it will be business as usual. And meanwhile, only a few people will see through the charade. For the fact of the matter is that no place, no city, no country on the face of the earth can really claim to be at the center of it all. And neither can politics or economics, much less sports, claim to be the paramount activity of human existence. Now, beloved, as we're going to see, the center of the world, indeed, of the whole universe, lies elsewhere. The headquarters or the control center of the world isn't on this planet. And the greatest activity is not political, it's not social, it's not economic, it's not military or entertainment. Also, the greatest activity is something else. So where do all of these things lie? Well, for an answer, let's turn our attention to the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. and We'll take a try and take a good hard look at it. I preached to you a throne in heaven. and We're going to see, behold, look who is on the throne... What comes from the throne, what is before the throne, what, who are around the throne, and what is said to the one on the throne. Well, beloved, over the years, I've tried not to make it a habit to criticize a Bible translation, but sometimes you have very little choice. And that goes for the opening verses of Revelation 4, as you have them in the NIV. Twice they skip a very little but important word, and it's the word, behold. For really, verse 1 should read, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And verse two should begin, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven. In both cases, the apostle John is not making a statement, but he's giving a command. He's telling us to look, to see, to perceive, raise your eyes. And take this in. But take what in? Well, two things. First of all, there is an open door. Only it's not an open door to a house, to a building, to a shopping center, or anything like that. No, it's an open door, John says, to heaven. After this, I looked, and behold, before me was a door standing open in heaven. Now, there's every indication that this caught John by surprise. Here he is living on the island of Patmos. You remember he had been exiled there. The emperor wanted him out of the way and so he had dispatched him to that lonely pile of rock in the Aegean Sea where presumably he could do no harm. John and his witness had been effectively neutralized, but not so fast. For one day, John finds himself transported. It's a bit like the Apostle Paul describes elsewhere in the New Testament. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 12 that one day he found himself caught up to paradise, to the third heaven. Most likely, John, too, is caught up here in a vision. He says, I was in the Spirit. He enters, that means, into another dimension. After all, life has more than one dimension to it. There's the world we can see and there is the world we cannot see. Well, John is allowed to see both. While on earth, he sees in heaven. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that, right? A door is opened for him and he's told, look in. And when he does so, what does he see? Well, he sees the second thing, and that is a throne. Note, he sees a throne in heaven of all places. In other words, John is seeing the center of the world and of the universe. He's seeing the control room of the cosmos. This is supreme headquarters. This is where all the power and the might and the authority ultimately comes from. And you know, that's comforting. And that's comforting why you ask what's so special about this. Well, it's great news because, you know, there are times when we wonder whether or not anyone is in control of this planet at all. Of course, as believers, we know better. But well, there are times too, right, when we have our doubts. And when we ask ourselves, is there really someone in charge here? Is it really so that God has the whole world in his hands? We look at Haiti and we wonder. We look as the casualties mount in Afghanistan and we wonder. We see cancer, claim life after life, and we wonder... Who's minding the store? Well, the answer is heaven is minding the store. There is a throne in heaven. And even better yet, there is someone on the throne. Who is there? Well, verse 3 says, The one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. You know here John is actually grasping for words to describe what he's seeing in heaven and he resorts to the imagery of precious stones that are bright and beautiful, radiant and dazzling and he's saying that the one who is sitting there is is actually full of splendor his appearance is glorious but then there's also his name Look, verse 8 says that the one who sits on the throne is called the Lord God Almighty. Notice he's the Lord. That means he's the one who makes covenant. And he's God, which means he's the one who creates all things. And he's almighty. Which means that he has all the power and the strength and the might. But yet that's not all, for he is also the source and sustainer of all things. If you turn to the second part of verse 11, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And that really means that nothing lives, functions, or moves without him, without his will, without his permission You know, Adolf Hitler talked about establishing a thousand-year reign. But after six short years, this God blew him away. He's mighty. And there's more. For verse 8 tells us the one on this road is holy, holy, holy. The repetition there, beloved, is for emphasis. This throne sitter is not just a little bit holy. No, he's three times holy. He's the holy other, we say. Holy is his name. Isn't one more saying he is eternally so? Verse 8 reveals that he is the one who was and is and is to come. Our lives all have a beginning. His life has always been. Our lives change. His life is unchangeable. Our earthly lives end in death. He is from everlasting to everlasting so you see, taken together, what an awesome person John sees sitting on the throne. His appearance is great. His name is great. His nature is great. There is no one who compares to him. Throughout history, there have been many throne sitters. Some have exercised great power, controlled vast armies, built mighty empires. Consider Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Napoleon, Ginas Khan, Attila the Han, Louis XIV, and the names go on and on. But where are they today? Dead. Gone. Distant memories. Dust. Yet the one who sits on the throne lives and reigns his life and his rule never end. And so you see, beloved, John is allowed to see the one who has the real power. And that's important. In his day, Rome claimed all the power. And in his day, Rome appeared to be invincible. Who, who could resist Rome? She persecuted the church fiercely. And what could the church do? Nero fed Christians to the lions. Domitian crucified them, and the blood flowed and flowed. But look. Behold, there is a throne, and there is someone incomparable upon that throne. He rules, and he will rise up and defend his church. But you know, there is not just someone on the throne, there is also something coming from the throne. Look, for example, at verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Along with the Olympics, wherever they are held, there come fireworks. And not like this. Here we have heavenly fireworks. And in a way, it's somewhat reminiscent of what happened at Mount Sinai before the giving of the law. And it declares that here is God, and he is the judge of all the earth. He will deal with Nero, Domitian, and all those other persecuting emperors. And indeed, he will deal with all those who throughout history mock his person, violate his will, and terrorize his people. And in that connection too, beloved, we need to realize that the words of verse 5 about lightning, rumblings, and thunder are like a, like a refrain running through the book of Revelation. They're mentioned here in chapter 4. They're mentioned in chapter 8, verse 5, after the seventh and last seal has been opened. They're mentioned in chapter eleven, nineteen, after the seventh and the last trumpet has sounded. They're mentioned after chapter 16, verse 18, after the seventh and last bowl has been poured out. Here then we have three series of judgments coming from the throne. They come after the seals and the trumpets and the bulls. If you look closely, you'll even see more. After the seventh seal in chapter 8, we have peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and it says an earthquake. After the seventh trumpet in chapter 11, we have the same with the addition of a great hail storm. And after the seventh bowl in chapter 16, we have the same plus a severe earthquake. All in all, what this shows you is that the one who sits on the throne is not just great in glory, but he is also great in judgment. His judgment is a terrible reality. And you know, that's not a very popular thing to say today. Today, we like our God small, convenient, bendable, toothless. But the God of Revelation 4 is none of these things. He will judge the earth. Never forget that. And so, beloved, there is someone on the throne... There is judgment coming from the throne. And there's also some things before the throne. What's before the throne? Well, first turn with me to verse 5. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Why seven lamps or seven torches, literally? Well, very simply because wherever God is, there is No darkness, but only light. Think of what John says elsewhere in 1 John 1 verse 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And notice too that John sees seven lamps or torches, and seven always stands for fullness or completeness. And as well, he says that these seven lambs were seven spirits. In other words, before the throne, he sees the fullness of God's power which comes through the Spirit. Yet there's also something else before the throne. Look at verse 6. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. You might wonder why this mention of a sea. And why is it described as being a sea of glass or clear as crystal? Think about that for a moment. And think about this question too, how is the Bible usually, or how is the sea usually described in the Bible? Isn't it so that when Scripture talks about the sea, it's always something that that roars? I think of Psalm 22, 65, I think of Isaiah 17, I think of Jeremiah six, fifty, fifty-one. 51. The sea is usually roaring, foaming, restless, in tumult, hostile. In other words, in Scripture, the sea is usually a very dangerous place. It In it lives Leviathan, the great sea monster. Out of it comes the beast of Revelation 13. Indeed, the ancients feared the sea as a place of chaos, danger, and dread. But now look. Behold, look at how the sea is described before the throne of God. Before it and before him. It's described as being as smooth as glass and as clear as crystal. And that only happens, you know, when the sea is really still and the waves are really, really calm. Quite simply, God stills the seas. He stops their roaring. He controls our fears. That's what it means. He controls our fears. And you know how the church then and how the church today needs to hear this as well. Every day, it seems that something is happening in this world. And usually it's not something nice or pleasant or attractive. It's usually something negative and devastating. We live in in a turbulent life, a turbulent world. Nothing stays the same for long. There is instability everywhere. Each day brings with it its new disasters. And its new crimes. The world is a seething world. John knows this and he sees this. We know it and we see it. But here in Revelation 4, he and we as well are reminded that before the throne of God there is peace and rest and tranquility. God Almighty tames the tumult. He defeats our enemies and foes. He brings rest to a restless world. When the troubles of life and the constant drumbeat of sadness here below starts to get to you, raise your eyes and see, behold, a sea of glass. It's like the psalmist says, the Lord leads us besides quiet waters. And so, beloved, we paid attention to the one who is on the throne, to what comes from the throne, what is before the throne. And that brings us to what goes on around the throne. So what is around the throne? Well, in the first place, there is a rainbow. Verse 3b says, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. And what is a rainbow but a sign of God's faithfulness and a guarantee of his mercy? It means this God makes promises and this God keeps his promises. You can trust him. You can love him. You can depend on him. You can build your life on him. And second, there are 24 elders around the throne. They're dressed in white, which means they're pure and they're holy. They have crowns of gold on their head, which means they are triumphant and precious. And they're seated on thrones, which means that they have a hand in ruling and reigning. And notice their number. There are 24 of them. Why? Why? Are there 24 elders? Well, probably two things come to mind here. The first is something contemporary. It was commonly known in John's day that the emperor Domitian had 24 bodyguards who surrounded and protected him. If you were a king, you had 12. If you were an emperor, he had twice that number. And together these bodyguards are to send out the signal that this emperor is invincible, indestructible, secure. You can't threaten him. And so is God sending his church another message here? If you think that Domitian, that little emperor, is safe, you haven't seen anything yet. Look at me. I've got 24 cosmic elders or mighty angels around my throne, as if I need them. Talk about being secure. But you know, there's a second meaning here, and it is an older and more ancient one. According to it, there are 24 elders because there were 12 tribes in Israel, and there are 12 apostles in the New Testament. So 24 really represents and stands for the whole church. In and through these elders, you can say the entire church from beginning to end is as it were standing around the throne. All the people of God are represented here. But you know, if there is a rainbow and 24 elders, there's also more. There are, as verse 4b says, four living creatures around the throne. And they are quite the sight. The first looks like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like a man, and the fourth like a flying eagle. And it says they were covered with eyes in front and in back, and each had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and even under his wings. So what are they? And what do they stand for? Well, most likely they are angelic beings, and most likely they stand for might and power. Among wild animals, the lion is king. Among domesticated animals... The ox is often considered to have no equal. Among the birds, the eagle is said to be tops. And as for all of God's creatures, man is the greatest. And together they can all see because they have eyes. They can all move because they have wings. That means their abilities are great. So you see, around the throne we have not just a rainbow, but we have all of God's people represented and we have arrayed the greatest and the mightiest of God's creatures. In other words, every creature that lives and breathes owes its existence to God. He is their life, their source, the creator. Around the throne they all look to him and they all depend on him. And they know it. Because look at, they all say something to the one who is seated on the throne. What do they say? Well, turn to verse 8b. There we learn that day and night the four living creatures never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And we learn, too, that whenever the four living creatures do this, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worships Him who lives forever and ever. And indeed, they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things By your will they were created and they have their being. You see, taken together what Revelation 4 teaches us is that all the praise and the glory and the honor in all of creation, in all of the universe, among all peoples and all creatures, belong to God. He alone is worthy. In his masterpiece, the Messiah, George Frederick Handel, included a magnificent chorus called Worthy is the Lamb. Well, I suspect that what John heard and the worthy that is here addressed to God the Father was even greater, richer, and fuller. Oh, the praise, the adoration, and the worship, all because our God is worthy. And so, beloved, remember the lessons of Revelation 4. The first is that the center of the universe is in heaven, where God sits on his throne. And the second is that there is no greater activity in this life than worship. Politics may be intoxicating, economics may be daring, leading armies may be thrilling, but nothing beats the praise, the honor, the glory, and the tribute that we bring to our God and Father in Jesus Christ. In short, nothing surpasses the worship of the one who sits upon the throne. And again, how consoling that is. In John's day, the world mocked all those Christians and their silly worship as unnecessary, irrelevant, and a colossal waste of time. And today, outside and sometimes even inside the church, there are those who are negative about Christian worship. Some want to discard it. Others always want to tinker with it. But all the while we forget that worship is not about us in the first place and how we feel. It's about God and the glory of His name. You and you alone are worthy, O Lord and God. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you that to some extent, together with the Apostle John, we too, through the Scriptures, might be caught up to the heavens And see that great throne and you sitting upon it. And all the angels and the creatures and the elders around it. And all the praise and the adoration. Oh, Father, what a message that sends to your church, your often struggling, persecuted, and browbeaten church upon this earth. Father, we thank you for encouraging us in this way. We thank you also, Father, that we may know that when we worship you, we are not twiddling our thumbs in idleness, but we are engaged in the greatest activity in all of life and in all of the world. Truly, O oh Lord, you are worthy. Holy, holy, holy is your name. Amen. Amen.